Welcome to the narrations episode of the Horror Babes podcast. This short story was written by Topher Pridgen and narrated by Nicole Hood. This is No Words in Broad Daylight. All of us have a breaking point. We can resist and fight. Some of us are better at it than others, but sooner or later, every last one of us breaks. Every day, something happens that moves the breaking process along. Getting catcalled by yet another random man on another train with too many people. The too small paycheck handed to you by a boss who thinks you should thank him for the pittance he owes you. A deadbeat father who calls and tells you he lost another job and just needs a little something to get through the month. The erosion of our will doesn't always happen out loud, though. Some of the breaking happens without you even noticing. The lights in your apartment being off in just such a way that it gives you a dull headache. One spring in your mattress poking that one part of your back ever so slightly. The slow, dripping torture of knowing a secret and wanting to tell everyone, but with catastrophic consequences. Worse, knowing that secret and sharing the burden with exactly one other person. One person whose lips may be slightly looser than they ought to be. It could be one drink too many, one lover too trusted, or just one day that lands too heavy and leaves them feeling too vulnerable to a stranger on the bus. Isaac was my closest friend when we were kids. We met in Miss Harris's fourth grade class at PS 235. Isaac was the tall and gangly kid. I was the other tall and gangly kid. Our peers called us the Two Towers. Tolkien had been our summer reading. At least we all learned something. We didn't mind the teasing too bad, though. We shouldered it together. It would be the first of many things we bore as a unit. First the teasing, Isaac's favorite aunt being hit by a bus, my dad running in and out of my life, and eventually, the secret. Isaac and I bonded over our love of urban myths. His mom was religious and strict and thought the internet would corrupt him with the devil. My mom couldn't afford it. Lucky for us, the library a few blocks away had just gotten off of dial-up, and so every day after school, we'd walk there and max out our allotted time reading every myth about New York we could get our hands on. We spent as much time as we could researching, and then we'd go and sit at the playground behind our school and discuss our own theories. Isaac wanted to believe they were all true. I wanted to explain them away. Neither of us were right, of course, but we would soon learn that Isaac was much closer to the truth than I was. Because some of them were. There weren't alligators in the sewers or mole people. I wish those had been the real ones. No, the truth we discovered was worse. Once we were both 14, we'd gotten tired of just reading about myths. The need for adventure hits every teenager. Some kids party, some try to do the stunts they see on Jackass. Others get lost in the deep corners of the internet. We just wanted to explore. People think Manhattan doesn't have places to explore because it's a giant island mostly covered in concrete. But really, it's as diverse and interesting as any natural landscape. Humans are just animals after all, no different than ants building layers below the dirt or finches building nests in trees. We build and create and destroy. So yeah, New York City is just another natural landscape full of wonder. Central Park, that's standard fare. It's really the city itself that's so amazing. It's like a deep mountain range with caves below. There's abandoned buildings and construction sites above with subway tunnels below. There's not just history, there's mystery. Some half-forgotten brownstone that used to belong to a bishop and now is just a home for pigeons, raccoons, and the occasional squatter. Defunct factories that were on their way to becoming overpriced lofts before the cash flow dried up and the developer left them to rot. It's everywhere. Our first outing was the apartment building on my block that had caught fire a few years before. An electrical outlet shorted on the fourth floor, destroying the two floors above it. 
It took five trucks all night to put it out. Even though the lower floors didn't burn, the water from the hoses drowned them. Six people died. After paying out the insurance fees, the owners couldn't afford the repairs and renovations. They sold it to the city at a loss. The city left it. My mom says they bring it up at block meetings, but promises to fix it are made and never kept. Isaac and I saved up some cash and got some basic masks. We knew the interior had to be filled with mold and probably asbestos. We weren't sure if anything bad happens when you burn lead paint, but we figured it couldn't be good. We made our plans, grabbed our flashlights, and snuck out during a sleepover one night. It was amazing. The world our books and the internet promised us was real. Terrifying figures painted from smoke, graffiti from our predecessors, belongings from the unfortunate tenants buried beneath piles of wood and ash. We didn't find any cryptids or homeless serial killers or ghosts, but we found exactly what we wanted. Adventure. It was more than two nerdy and adventurous teenagers could even dream of. Eventually, like anyone chasing a high, we needed more. We'd explored as high as we dared and had even found a way to the boiler room in the super's apartment in the basement. It was time to expand our horizons. So we took to the tunnels. More has been written about the New York City subway tunnels than any natural cave system in the world. There's an entire ecosystem down there, special slimes, blind rats, fungi that feed on the electricity of the third rails, bands of homeless people who never see the sun. It's fascinating. Just like the burned out building, there weren't any of the mystical creatures we'd read about, but we were learning to see the magic in how life and matter adjust to its conditions. But like the burned out building, eventually we had had our fill and needed something new. For all the wonder of the last couple years, we still wanted the cheap thrill of discovery. It was just another summer night in the late Bush era. I had had a fight with my mom about politics. I wasn't old enough to vote, but Diddy said it was cool. Isaac had been stopped and frisked a few days before. Mom said it was unfortunate, but necessary to stop people from bombing us. We both shouted. I put myself in my room. She sulked on the couch. His ears must have been burning that night because Isaac called the house phone half an hour later. Mans, I found it. I could actually feel the excitement in his voice, like the static between a lightning strike and thunder. Something had happened and something else was coming. The new spot. I don't know how I've never seen it before. Oh, hold on a sec. There was some shouting in the background, half in French, so it had to be his mom. His sister refused to speak anything but English. Sorry, dude, I gotta go, but we'll meet at the library in the morning, okay? He hung up and I let myself feel a little better. I was still sour about the fight with my mom, but the prospect of a new playground helped me cool off enough to get to sleep. The next morning, I put the coffee together in time to get my mom a to-go cup before she left for work. I had one for myself, too. She eyed it. Going to hang out with your boyfriend? Mom, Isaac and I aren't dating. We've been friends forever. We're just going to the library. Amanda, I'm not an idiot. Isaac is a tall and good-looking young man. You don't hang out with other boys or anyone, really. It makes sense. God, Mom, no. Look, Isaac and I are best friends. I trust him with my life, but I don't want that. He doesn't either. I'm just saying, don't write off a nice boy. There aren't as many as you'd think. Yeah, I know, I know. Dad is a piece of shit. Amanda, don't use that language in my house. Fine. But we're not dating. So there. If you insist. Sorry about last night. This... New job is killing me. I mean, nine hours on your feet is a lot. But now I'm just stalling. I have to get the train. Be home to help with dinner. I was glad she left then. 
I don't know if there's a best time for an only daughter to come out to her single mother, but 8.30 on a Tuesday can't be it. I met Isaac out front of the library. We made a beeline for the computers, nodding a quick hello to our favorite librarian, Miss Janine. Isaac pulled a slip of paper out of his pocket with a URL scribbled on it. His handwriting looked pretty, but it was completely illegible to anyone but him. It looked like elvish or something. Soon enough, we were scrolling through a website describing abandoned fallout shelters from the Cold War. Whoever had built the site included a list of all the decommissioned bomb shelters in New York. This guy had even found out how many had been built. 104 had been constructed. He had found 102 of them. He even had pictures and rough location descriptions. Nothing too specific. He didn't want the government getting too concerned with his trespassing hobby, I guess. So you're saying you found number 103, then? When did you go out without me? I was a little hurt. Yeah, what's crazy is that I didn't find it by going out. I found it walking home. It's no more than three or four buildings from mine. He saw my face. Come on, you know I'd never go without you. Frankly, I'm hurt you even think I would. Okay, so when do we go? Sleepovers aren't really an option. My mom keeps thinking we're dating and brings it up every time we talk or hang out. No way I get to stay at a boy's. But it's me. And still... Plus, you're... I cut him off. Nope. Don't even say it. Seriously. Alright, I mean, I get it. My mom's being the same a bit. He started imitating his mom's patois, which always killed me. Isaac was the funny one. Always another joke. Another bit. After being shushed with an all-too-knowing look from Miss Janine, we settled down and made plans to try and get in another afternoon. We didn't want to wait, but it couldn't be today. Isaac's mom hosted her church group the next day and wouldn't want us around anyway, so we decided to scope out her plan then. We met up at the bodega on Isaac's corner and tried to casually stroll past where he said he'd found the shelter. I really was surprised that we hadn't seen it before. I'd easily walked past this spot hundreds of times in the last seven years. It seemed more than strange that two burgeoning urban explorers would miss a glaring, if a bit dull, yellow sign with a big nuclear symbol blazoned on it, but then it can be hard to see what's right in front of your face. The entrance was, well, boring. Completely nondescript. You'd think the city would want its citizens to know where the safe spot was if bombs started falling. It looked like a side entrance to the subway, but the archway was black instead of green. There were iron gates that had a heavy chain and padlock wrapped through their bars. Behind that was a stout-looking set of doors. The hell are we even supposed to get in? Isaac was pissed. I could tell all he wanted was to get in there. I could also tell that he was too frustrated to see the obvious solution. That padlock is big, but look how rusty it is. Those bolt cutters we lifted from that hardware store on 90th is more than enough to get through that shitty old rusted lock that's older than either of us. Okay, smarty, but what about the big doors behind the lock, hmm? You secretly the Hulk? Only time I seen you, Green, is when you saw Mike D kissing a- Shut up. Look, there's a gap between the doors. We can slip a pry bar through and try to flip the latch that way. Okay, let's do it. When? Let's figure out a time we can slip out at night. Is there some school thing we both forgot about? In the middle of summer? Shit. Right. Duh. What's that night your mom goes to church, Matt, early? Saturday. Sabbath, dude. Okay. Let's do it then. We laid out our plans to get in and how long we had to explore. Isaac's mom would leave their apartment around four in the afternoon. She walked and didn't want to be late. I'd tell my mom I was heading downtown to meet my cousin for a late movie. 
Isaac and I would then meet up at the door by 7.30 with our tools and gear hidden in our backpacks. That would give us a good few hours to explore after we got through the doors. Everything went perfectly. Our moms totally bought our lies. No reason they wouldn't, really. They had no idea about our weird and dangerous hobby. When we got to the door, Isaac stood as inconspicuously as he could while still blocking passerby from seeing what I was doing. There's a reason we like to do this at night instead of sunset. I slid the bolt cutters from his bag and angled them onto the lock. The rusted bits flaked away like tiny orange embers. I could almost feel the blade of the cutters push through the softer pieces that had rotted. After a small clunk, the lock was broken and I peeled it out of its slot. The next step was sliding the pry bar through the opening between the two doors and flipping the interior latch. I had to jimmy the bar for a bit to get it through, which made more noise than I wanted and got me a prompt shushing from Isaac. Once it was through, though, the latch flipped easily. I thought this might be the hard part, but we were both too eager to really notice. We slipped inside and pulled the sliding security doors closed behind us. Given that these bunkers had all been decommissioned, it was no real surprise that the place was pitch black. Powerful LED flashlights were still expensive back then, but we had sticky fingers and deep pockets. I loved the adventure of it all, but there's something about the shaky light of a flashlight that always made my skin crawl. Isaac was feeling it too. Mans, this place feels weird. He was still whispering even though there was no way anyone could hear us. Losing your edge there? I could feel him scowling. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just trying to make jokes because I'm freaked out too. I think it's just the flashlights. We've been in tunnels before. Lots of them. No monsters, remember? No monsters. That was our mantra. Helped us keep our cool in the weird spots. My therapist now calls them centering exercises. We were just kids trying to say dope lines and pretend we were working for Wayland yutani but luckier. There was nowhere to go but forward. The tunnel seemed to extend forever. Isaac and I assumed we'd find emergency stairs within 100 feet of the entrance, but we'd easily walked a mile with only a straight dip downward. No security station, no elevator, just a few fading and rusted fallout shelter signs. Weird. This place should be the coolest thing we found yet, but it's a little bullshit, yeah? Dude on that site I found said they all followed essentially the same layout, at least up front. Why would this one be so different? If I'm counting steps right, we're almost under the cemetery by now. Yeah, this is mad strange. But we're down here and there has to be something. You don't lock up nothing that tight. I know, I know. Just antsy because I don't want to waste time. I want to find shit. Isaac was the eager one per usual. Our patience paid off soon enough. Within the next 15 minutes, we'd found a set of stairs. A giant set of stairs. It spiraled down for 10 flights before our flashlights turned to ink. With no place else to go, we headed down. And down. And down. It's not a feeling I can describe unless you've felt it yourself. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, let alone hiked to its floor. I've lived in New York most of my life, but I haven't been to the top of the Empire State Building, nor have I walked its stairs from top to bottom. But I have to imagine the feeling is the same as what Isaac and I experienced that night. We had been below the surface of the city, spent hours in the subway tunnels that were the blood vessels of the city. This was different. This descent felt like we were phasing through the crust of the earth itself. I wish I could say it was the closest experience I'd ever had of eternity. After what felt like hours, despite our watches disagreeing, we reached the bottom. This ain't a fucking bomb shelter, man. What do you mean? Think about it. 
if you're building some place where you can get a whole lot of people to safety real quick while they're panicking, do you make them sprint a mile straight back and then spin down a bunch of fucking stairs for 40-some flights? No, you make things quick, easy, and simple. The designs that dude posted on his blog were all stairs and offices at around 100 feet. Then multiple sets of stairs with offshoots every couple flights. Barracks, storage rooms, we got nothing but bare fucking walls and a whole lot of dark. Okay, uh, I guess that's right, but maybe we just missed it? Fuck that, mans. Did you see a single running light? Better yet, have you seen one single solitary light bulb in this whole mess? No, you haven't, and I haven't either. We're not missing shit. Whatever this place is, it's not a shelter. Feels more like a... tomb. Well, I trailed off. I didn't know what to say. Isaac was right. Worse yet, with how far down we were, we didn't really know where we were anymore. I didn't know why we'd pressed this far, but I knew how far it was. Isaac did too. Now I know how Balin must have felt in Moria. We shouldn't have done this, but here we are. Yeah. Want to turn back? No monsters. No monsters. And that was it. At the bottom of the giant staircase, we were in another hallway. Walls on three sides and one path forward. Usually we had options. Corners and hallways and weird tunnels. That was a lot of why it was fun. We could choose where we wanted to go, pick a direction and explore, find a room and turn it over. It didn't matter which you chose, the others would always be there. We would make maps to keep track of what we'd found and where we'd explored. We'd even gotten pretty good at it. We didn't need a map here. We'd walked for two hours, 41 minutes, but the only thing we'd found was one set of stairs and a second tunnel. We've been here a while. Should we head back and press on further next time? Honestly, yes. But it's not like we'll get any further. We're in it now, right? My mom is going to be pissed no matter what at this point. L let's just go until we find something. It's not like they built this into a dead end. Come on. Isaac was right. We were deep in it. Going back would be faster than our walk-in, but not by much. Those stairs were going to be a beast to climb back up, so we pressed on. Another half hour went by of just walking through the tunnel, nothing but dust and grime and a growing sense of dread. The only difference was that it had started to curve and felt like it was sloping down. So it's not a bunker, and I refuse to believe that the city built a tomb under the heights like 50 years ago. What do you think this is, Mans? It can't be a lair. There's like zero security. Same goes for a secret gov lab. There'd at least have been like a freight elevator or something. Same has to go for a dig site, right? Maybe there really are mole people. Yeah. Isaac trailed off. It dawned on me we'd been gradually switching roles in our descent. Why was I cracking jokes? Worse, why was Isaac being so somber? It had to be the stress or frustration or just from having been in near total dark for the last three hours. So I just stuck to the script. I guess we gotta find more to know more, yeah? And then we did find something. A wall. I was livid. Are you fucking serious? A goddamn wall? Why the fuck have we been down here looking for shit and it's just a fucking wall? I kicked the wall, swore a good bit more and flopped down in a huff. Isaac, on the other hand, had been investigating. Mans, chill. Look, it sucks, I know. But just chill, breathe, and think. 
Where are the rooms? Where's the bunks, the supply closet, anything? This can't be it. It's us, not the bunker. Isaac walked up to the wall and moved toward one corner. He got in close with his light and started touching where the wall of the tunnel in our dead end met. I took a deep breath and focused on how it made me feel like Darth Vader with my ventilator. The thought mellowed me out and I followed suit with the other corner. You got anything, Mans? Not sure. You don't feel it? Feel what? Air. This ain't a wall, dude. We started searching for anything that would let us open the first interesting thing we'd found in our long trip underground. I kept my corner looking for hinges. Isaac was feeling cinder blocks to see if any of them were fake. It felt like we were in the house from Clue or Wayne Manor. Unfortunately, there wasn't anything as obvious as a bookcase or candlestick. Our switch was so well hidden, in fact, that I wouldn't have found it if I didn't trip over it. A small metal panel in the floor that we hadn't noticed because of the weird lighting and dust. One corner was slightly bent upward and we managed to get it open with the pry bar. Inside was a simple mechanical switch. So do we flip it? We have to, right? So we did. The door creaked open, choking the hallway with dust and rendering our flashlights useless. We waited a while for the dust to settle and were shocked by what was behind the big door. It was a single, small opening leading to a staircase only wide enough for one person. We didn't say a word to each other. We just moved forward. I wish I could say we thought about our options, that we felt the gravity of the situation and the potential consequences of our actions. We didn't. We just moved forward. Didn't even decide who should be up front. It was Isaac. There was no why to it. It simply was. Everything was different past the fake wall. Older. Out of place. The staircase was made of black stone, not metal or concrete. The walls of the hallway were lit softly, as if by some otherworldly glow, not a harsh fluorescent. Silently, we pressed forward, side by side, to a set of double doors. They were made of dark wood and covered with beautiful yet sinister carvings. A soft red light flowed along the carvings when our fingers brushed their raised surface. Despite their obvious weight, the doors opened smoothly, as if all they needed to reveal their secrets was the gentle touch of someone curious and driven. As the doors creaked in on themselves, we stood, rooted to the spot. This was eternity, waiting for the mystery we'd chased deep below the city to reveal itself, standing unblinking, only the slight hiss from the respirator to let us know we were still breathing. Time has no meaning in a moment like that. What do seconds matter when you and your only friend are about to discover something buried and locked away in plain sight? As a soft knocking sound signaled that the doors had finished their path to the walls, we were greeted with a large open cavern, a simple hand-hewn dome. The walls sloped to create the ceiling. They were covered in symbols like the ones on the doors. The red lights of light crept their way from the entrance where we stood, steadily spiraling through the room until they met at the center symbol. Once the tendrils found each other, the lights began to pulse in a slow rhythm, almost like the breaths of a deep and easy sleeper. The beauty of it isn't lost on me even now, but then... Lucifer has a gorgeous face, too. Who can say how long we stood taking it all in? Time had no meaning then. What I do know is that at some point the lights held. The red became angrier. Maybe it's just my brain trying to tidy up the past, but it was like watching a time lapse of blood drying and oxidizing, turning from a brilliant crimson to a deep and menacing rust flecked with angry bits of brown. That's when the floor crumbled leaving us standing on the lip of an impossibly deep chasm. Do you know what it's like to stand face to face with pure horror? 
I know some of you do. Once you've faced eternity and terror, you can recognize those who have done the same. It's like we're all members of the same shitty club wearing little badges that only we can see. People I know who served in the Middle East have it. I saw it on a subway prophet yelling at the passengers of a sea train. Refugees always have it. The feeling of it stays with you forever. It doesn't ebb over time. You could compare it to the deep colds of January when you've forgotten what it's like to feel warm and no amount of sweaters, blankets, or bottles of whiskey can bring you back to your time in the sun. We stood on the edge of that maw and that's what we witnessed. We stared at eternity, endlessness, and truth. It poured into my mind, filling me with, well, everything. The thing about the truth is that it isn't knowledge how we usually think of it. It's not facts, figures, or even systems or models. It's nothing concrete you can point to. It's a sensation, a feeling. But it's hard and real. Worse yet, knowing the truth makes you want to share it. But because you know it, you also know that sharing it could ruin everything. Knowing the truth is like having a secret that you can't share with anyone else because you're afraid of what will happen when you do. It freezes you from the inside out, slowly, but without fail, bits of your soul succumb to frostbite, rotting and flaking away like a leper in shades of green and black. Once it starts, there's only one way out, one end. This isn't the worst version, though. No. What's worse is knowing that exactly one other person shares the same secret and not knowing how long they can keep up under the strain. People tell their secrets to ease the pain. Knowledge isn't power, it's pain. It thrashes inside of you, battering the walls of its cell until they break. That is why it's a truth universally acknowledged, that the only way two people can keep a secret is if one of them is dead. I don't know how we got back to the secret door. I do know we made sure the tunnel was sealed tight behind us. He shoved the door shut. I smashed the switch. We ripped down the signs designating a radioactive shelter. We didn't want anyone else to even look at the tunnel in case they made the same mistake we did. So they wouldn't have to know what we knew. So they might not reveal the secret that would end us all. We went home, got grounded, and thought maybe we could put it behind us. Hope is funny like that, convincing you of the impossible. After that night, Isaac and I drifted apart. He became more of a loner, falling into a depression that never ended. Eventually, he broke too far down and couldn't finish school. He still lives with his mother and sister in the same small apartment. After high school, I left the city, went to a small college in the middle of nowhere, coasted through, graduated, and moved to another small town in a different middle of a different nowhere, holding down a nothing job that pays the bills and nothing else. I keep to myself. Friends are people you share secrets with, and I had had my fill of secrets. The one was already too much to bear. Every night I sit alone, listening to Lucy Dacus records and drinking myself to sleep. Until tonight. Tonight, I'm drinking for a different reason. My mother just called me for the first time in months. Another relationship left to rot in the field. Usually I don't answer, but being somewhere between wine bottle number two or three, I did. Isaac hanged himself, off the fire escape, no less, right where the whole street could see. A real penchant for drama to the last. I won't tell you what we saw down there. I won't tell you because I promised not to that night. I promised Isaac, myself, in every sacred moment we shared that I would not reveal what lies trapped below Manhattan. At least now the secret is safer. I waited 15 years for this moment when I could be sure the secret would never be set free.
I loved Isaac, truly. The man was the best family I had. I could never have killed him. It's not me, and it wasn't us. I wish I were sad. There are tears, but they're not for him. They fall into a face creased by the first smile I've had since 2011. Death may be buried under New York, but I'll meet her sooner than any plane or train could get me there. Thank you, Isaac. We kept this secret together even when we were far apart. Tonight, we can let the burden pass to some other bright-eyed duo. I hope for their sake, they're better at it than we were. <laughs>